أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين واللعنة الدائمة على أعدائهم أجمعين من الآن إلى قيام يوم الدين السلام عليكم dear brothers and sisters I hope everyone is doing well and welcome to another episode of our Tafsir of Dua Kumail podcast we were discussing this line of Dua Kumil in which Ali ibn Abi Talib said, حَتَّى تَكُونَ أَعْمَالِي وَأَوْرَادِي كُلُّهَا وِرْدًا وَاحِدًا Ya Allah, make it such that all of my deeds and all of my acts of worship, whether they are verbal or it is an act that I'm carrying out, that they will all become one speech. And we said what Ali ibn Abi Talib is really referring to is that all of the acts that I carry out on a day-to-day basis, that if I do all of these for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, these acts of worship will no longer be scattered. They will all under they will all fall under one greater category of worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We said if you look at your day-to-day schedule, usually there might be 300, 400, 500 different things that you do on a day-to-day basis. Each and every one of them you're doing for a different purpose and a different person. Some of them you're doing because you need to make money. Some of them you're doing because you want someone's acceptance. Some of them we do because we want fame. Some of them, yes, we do because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, when we say that, what it really means is we do it because we don't want to go into, we don't want to enter to hellfire. Um, And a whole host of other purposes that we might have in mind. So when you look at your schedule, you look at your day-to-day life, Really, from the perspective of the purposes for which you are working, you are a scattered individual, okay? But if you were to take all of this and you were consolidating it all under one purpose, then all of your act and deeds would be seen as one package. This is essentially what Ali ibn Abi Talib is saying here. Ya Allah, make it such that I do everything for you because once I do that, my whole life is now centered around one essentially one point of focus and one center and that is you we said Yusuf in the story of Yusuf we read that when he was in the prison this is exactly the concept that he brought up now bear in mind Yusuf when he's bringing this up in the prison as I mentioned in the previous episode this is the first time he's speaking as a prophet therefore he is introducing the religion to these two individuals who have come to him to ask for the interpretation of their dreams. When you speak as someone who is introducing his religion, in this case for the first time, then of course what you mention are going to be the most fundamental of concepts to your religion. You're not going to sit there and speak about all the details, for example, of praying and fasting and things of that nature, which by the way, as Muslims, that's what we do. When we want to introduce our religion, uh, when we want to introduce what we believe in, normally the way we do that is we go and cling onto the details in our religion, whereas the details are not the fundamentals of your religion. You can pray, or rather you can not pray and still be a Muslim. Not a good Muslim, but you'll still be a Muslim, right? Instead of introducing our beliefs to people, normally what we do is we go to the practices that we carry out. But here Yusuf salam, instead of speaking of the practices, he's speaking of what? He's speaking of the beliefs. He's actually approaching it from the proper perspective. Amongst those beliefs or fundamental beliefs that he mentions is this. Ya sahibay as-sijn. The two of my acquaintance in, in uh, this prison. 
أرباب متفرقون خير أم الله الواحد القهار Is it better for you? Does it make more sense that you would have a multitude of gods or you would have one god where your whole life is centered around that one god? We said that when that happens from a practical perspective, your life is God-centered or God-centric. And the result of that is that your life is not scattered and you are not lost in life. Meaning that everything you do is all moving in one direction. You are focused. And that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from you. Everything is revolving around Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas a person who has multiple gods, his life is scattered. Because each and every one of these gods, and gods doesn't necessarily refer to idols. It can many times be ideologies, right? Someone who is lost from an ideological perspective, the different deeds that he does is doing it for a, mul a multitude of purposes, right? Therefore, there is no governing body for his whole life. And essentially, he's lost in life. There is no framework to his life. There's no structure to his life. Whereas a person who is a believer, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him one system. And based on this one system, that is how he is going to govern his life this is really one of those blessings of being a muslim and beyond that even you know believing in any faith really would would apply this this uh this result would come into fruition that your life would not be as loose and scattered as it is because you have a framework to work with and so you know a lot of times you know our children might ask us or our youth might ask us they might say well what benefit does it have that i am a muslim if for example, there are non-Muslims, you know, they do good things as well. Um, but what benefit does it have for me actually being a Muslim? How is this, how is this religion of Islam a blessing for me? The answer is that Islam gives you a structure to your life. At least you know how to carry out these your day-to-day -day activities. You have guidelines in terms of what you are supposed to do. And by the way, you don't you also don't find this to the same extent when it comes to other religions. In the Christian faith, for example, it's, it won't even come close to what we have in Islam in terms of the detailed guidelines, in terms of what you're supposed to do, and also how you can tie in those guidelines to the actual source of the religion. Yes, anyone can come up with guidelines, but can you come up with guidelines that you can trace back to your holy book, for example, or you can trace back to individuals who speak on behalf of your prophet, as in the case of the Ahlul Bayt. You don't have that in other religions. Um, at least when, when you're talking about the Christian faith, not, at least not to the same degree or even close to the same extent and, and to the same uh, degree, really. But Islam, one of the reasons why it's a blessing for us is because you now have a structure in your life. Why do you have that structure? Because everything revolves around Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it such, then there is a framework and a structure that will present itself in someone's life. And this is why... When you look at our practices as Muslims, you will find there are certain elements that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has emphasized that they are not to be changed whatsoever. There are certain elements that have to stay the same for every single Muslim out there in the world. Like if you go into any Muslim, you know, across uh, essentially the different schools of thought that you have within Islam, majority of the mainstream schools of thought within the Shia school of thought and the Sunni school of thought. If you ask them, hey, I want to pray, but can I pray in English, right? You will be hard-pressed to find anyone who will allow such a thing, right? They will say, no, you're going to pray. You're going to pray in Arabic. 
that is an element that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has wanted to keep there because then it brings about the unity. It brings about a structure for the Muslim Ummah. When you look at pictures of Hajj, for example, what's the beauty in it? The beauty in it is that there is one building, as in the case of the Kaaba, and of course that's representing you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it represents you know, His authority and His will. And everyone is circling around this one Kaaba. The beauty in it is that everything revolves around one thing and one purpose and one entity. And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then you find other elements of this as well. The way we do hajj, the way we pray, the fasting that we do and, and whatnot. You know, elements of our faith that do not allow, that we're not allowed to change over time essentially. So when Ali ibn Abi Talib says, make it such that all of my deeds and all of the things that I say, they all become one speech. He doesn't mean that like they all turn into one sentence. He means that they are all done with one purpose in mind and they all revolve around the same issue. Moving on. This is the next request that Ali ibn Abi Talib has. Make it such that me serving you is an everlasting thing. Meaning that it do, it's not something that I do sometimes and other times I'm not doing. Okay. This is another one of those beautiful teachings that we have in Islam. That a believer, if he really wants to be an ideal believer, right? If he really wants to act upon the teachings of the religion, then he will be serving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not just some of the time. It's not like some of the time he does some good deeds and then the rest of his life he's wasting it. There are a multiple multitude of ahadith and verses of the Quran that speak about how a believer, he is not the type of person to waste time. He understands that the time that he has in this world is limited and therefore he has to take the best advantage of the time that he has been given. At the end of the day, this is the main concept and theme that comes up in Surah Al-Asr. We say, The human being is going to lose, is going to be in severe loss. But why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swear by time? Because it's time that the human being can take advantage of and then fall under except for those who do good and who believe and do good, right? So a believer always understands that I am to be continuously serving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's another problem that we have, another disparity that we find between Islam and what we do is that a lot of times you will find believers their whole life will be only you know summarized in them praying and fasting the rest of their time what are they doing a lot of times they're just wasting time a lot of times there's no trace of any other service to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right there's no other uh, trace of anything productive being done this is not how the Ahlul Bayt did things and setting aside the Ahlul Bayt, when you look at our scholars, even our scholars did not do things in this manner. The way our scholars did things was that they really took advantage of their time. If you look at the words and the memories that people have to say about Imam Khomeini, for example, the way he conducted his day-to-day -day life, the way he went about taking advantage of even small portions of time, five minutes here, 10 minutes there. Forget about hours upon hours where we have, you know, some of our younger generation, hours upon hours, you know, they're on some gaming device or they're on their phones or whatever the case may be. But five or 10 minutes here and there and his, essentially his dedication 
to spending his time properly and in the service of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was to an extent that his relatives say that we would set our clocks at home with him coming and going. If he said lunch is at 1, lunch is at 12, whatever the case may be, and when he came, we knew that our clock is off, that he would not be off. And that one time when he was late, we were so worried because we knew that if, if there wasn't anything that was wrong, he would have been here on time. And then you look at how he took advantage of his everyday life. And this is not just Imam Khoini, he's just an example. You look at the other ulama that, I, that we have. You know, one, one great example that is, you know, extremely inspirational is Allama Amini. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless his soul. And as I'm recording this right now, we're close to, uh, in just three or four weeks, we'll have the Eid of Ghadir. The Eid of Ghadir, right, we know that Allama Amini wrote a book by the name of Al-Ghadir that is essentially, all of it revolves around the Hadith of Ghadir and the incident of Ghadir, which has been narrated by Sunni and by Shia. And um, of course, to different degrees and to different extents, but you also find it in Sahih Muslim. When he wrote that book, if you go and look at the dedication that he had in terms of taking advantage of every single second that he was awake, it is mind-blowing the type of sacrifices that he made, right? Because, you know, now nowadays things are different. Nowadays, if you want to research books, especially if they're books that are not necessarily uh, available to you at your disposal in hard copy, what do you do? You go online and you'll find them online, right? Or you can buy, buy them online, you know, either in, in some PDF format or some other format. But he didn't have that. Uh, essentially that capability or that uh, luxury essentially. So what did he have to do? He had to travel from one library to another library, right? And he, he explained some of the trips that he had to make while he went to India in the heat of that region of the world, right? And how he used to go into the library. He used to stay in the library from morning until, you know, from dawn to dusk, dusk essentially, right? The type of things that you would hear or see in mu movies, right? And of course, that's like the fake version of it because in movies, they just show the dawn and then they show the dusk, the dusk, and you're like, oh, <laughs> he was there from dawn to dusk. But essentially, the type of things that uh, blow your mind, dedicated to this extent, right? And then when you look at the way we do things, oh no, it's very different, right? Something that can take 10 minutes, it will take 30 minutes for us, right? If I'm taking care of my studies, and I say this to the younger generation as well, and even for myself, if I can take care of something in 15 minutes, what am I going to do? I'm going to be, you know, watching something at the same time, so it'll take 45 minutes instead of 20 minutes, right? This, this is not what Islam wants from us. Islam wants us to realize and understand that we have a limited amount of time on earth and that you're not supposed to be wasting this time not when there are so many people in the world who need your help not when there are so many people in the world who you can help their lives and make their lives better you know if we're living in a world where nobody really needed you nobody really needed your help even you yourself in terms of your financial you know situation your parents financial financial situation your community's financial situation nobody needed anything well yeah then you would just live your life you would just pray and fast and that would be it but the reality is that the needs are so great out there. And then what you find is that our younger generation who are then going to become the adults in the community, who are then going to take on, you know, they're going to be flag bearers of the community, essentially. They live their life more so from a perspective as if there's not much to take care of. 
And then the same person, when he reaches, he becomes an adult, he doesn't have the resources to support his community. Why? Because when he was younger, he was just aiming, for example, for an income where he can just get by. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that if that's the extent that someone you know, can really go to. But if someone has the ability to go far beyond that, and many of our youth right, have that opportunity living in the West, this is not the East. This is not like our mothers and fathers. Our mothers and fathers, many of them who came from the East, some of them might have been living here. Some of them came, you know, immigrated essentially. With them, the opportunities, and even when you travel, you know, to the, to the East, right, uh, whether it's, you know, the subcontinent or the Middle East, whatever the case might be, the opportunities that people have are so little compared to the opportunities that you have growing up here. And then you find that many of us don't take advantage of it. means that I am consistently in your service. Not that I do it sometimes and the rest of my life I'm just wasting it. And along these lines, what you also find in hadith, this is hadith on one Basri, famous hadith from the sixth Imam is that he says, he says a believer who most of his life, most of his time, most of his mental capacity is dedicated to him to him seeing how he can obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This person, because he's so occupied with this idea of let me live my life in a God-centric manner, let me stay away from sin, let me obey and carry out the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, naturally he will not have the time to then go around and start arguing with people, start boasting to people. A lot of the negative acts that come about in our lives is because we have extra time. And when we have extra time, that's when shaitan gets the best of us. That's why we have hadith, wonderful hadith. It says, keep your nafs busy. And if you don't, your nafs will keep you busy. Subhanallah, it is such a beautiful hadith. It means, listen, either you're the one who takes the reign of your ego and yourself and you start telling it what to do, what not to do, what to spend time on, and that's the most, most of your time is going to be dedicated to that. It's either that or your nafs, yourself, your temptations, they will come up with a schedule for you. They will keep you busy. Either you keep it busy or the nafs will keep you busy. Okay, the one who most of his life is dedicated really to how am I going to take care of my duties, this person won't have much time to then go and spy on other people. He won't have time to go and sit hours and hours backbiting about another person, to sit and think about all the flaws that other people have. He doesn't have time for this. He's more focused on something else here. Make it such that I am continuously in your service. Ya Sayyidi, my master, Ya man alayhi mu'awwali, the one whom upon him I depend. Uh, you know, means you depend on something, right? You rely on something. Ya man ilayhi shakawtu ahwali, oh the one who I take my, you know, my concerns, my grievance, my, my thoughts, the things that make me sad, I bring it to his attention. Right? I do my complaining to him. Okay, let's pause here. And these are lines, by the way, that we've read, you know, tens of times, hundreds of times. We've never really dissected them to really think about what these lines are saying. Because these lines are actually highlighting a certain aspect of our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
and it's extremely beautiful if you if you if you take the time and we'll we'll dissect it inshallah more so in the next episode what these lines are saying and i'll just pose this question that inshallah get us thinking about this and in the next episode we'll go into more detail he says you are my master you're the one in charge you're the one you know with a master and a slave what's the relationship the slave is supposed to please the master he's supposed to satisfy the master whatever the master wants from him the slave is supposed to take care of okay and we've discussed before that with other human beings we don't have that relationship but with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is the relationship that we have ya sayyidi my master ya man alayhim you're the one on whom i depend let me ask you this does a slave depend and rely on his master is that what normally happens and then take a look at the next line ya man ahwali you're the one who I will complain to about my situation. Does a slave come and complain to his master? Or does a slave go and complain to others? And the only thing he does when it comes to the master is try to please the master. The answer is when you look at normal situations, normal relationships that we have in this world. If you have a master and slave you know, relationship uh, that you could picture in this world. Or if you can picture... Uh, a person of authority and people who work for him, right? Like your boss, for example. Do you go to your boss and complain when your boss tells you, you know what, I need these 10 reports ready by tomorrow. Do you go to your boss and complain to him? Or do you go to others and complain? And when it comes to your boss, you just try to keep him happy. Which one is it? It's probably the latter. It's probably the second one. So why is Ali ibn Abi Talib saying, you're my master, but when I want to complain, I come to you? That is something, inshallah, that we will discuss uh, in the following episode. Until then, keep us in your du'as. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.